Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Friends, the scripture reading today comes from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 3, verse 23 through 29. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith could be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offering, heirs according to the promise. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment now of silent reflection. Gracious God, we come to you now in the silence and stillness of this moment, perhaps the most silent and still we've been all week, because life goes fast, because we move from topic to topic, from goal to ambition, from worry to fear. Some of us, even in this moment, are um, you know, regretting the past or fearing the future, so the only place we can't be is right here, right now, and yet this is where you are. You invite us to meet you here in this place this morning, however we find ourselves. Some of us approach this moment with hope, with joy, with faith, with trust. Others with desperation or despair or anxiety or anger or depression or addiction. We come to this moment put together. We come to this moment feeling like we're falling apart. Help us to see however we are here right now. You see us and know us and all our complexity and contradictions, and your response is to love us and to give yourself to us in the sacrificial love of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so now, we pray that you teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit in a way that our lives would be transformed and send us out to be your hands and feet of renewal wherever we go in your name. Amen. Well, like many of you, you know, COVID, pandemic, Uh, sheltering in place, quarantining, all of that brings with it a certain amount of mourning and lament, right? Mourning and lament on the grand scale of friends and family who are affected. Mourning and lament of just the things that we can't do that we love doing. It wasn't too long ago I said to my friends Kenny and Marco, it was about last year, uh, it was last year at about this time when we were at the Kaboo Music Festival, which is one of the greatest music festivals ever. I mean, where else can you see Duran Duran play live, followed by Mumford and Sons? And that's what we were all doing. We got there. It was Sunday night. We had been through the entire day, beautiful day, waiting for the gate to open for Duran Duran to play. I've loved Nick Rhodes on keyboard since 1985. That was one of my first albums. And I'm going to see him live. And we're waiting for this thing to open, and I meet this gentleman, and we start chatting it up, and we get into this really deep conversation about life, family, parenting, sadness. I mean, this is what happens when you go to a concert and you start talking to a pastor. So we're sitting here having this really deep conversation. The doors open. I say, okay, I'm going in now. And he goes, you know, why don't you just come with me? 
And I said, well, why would I do that? And he said, get your friends, come with me. He shows me his credentials. And he had this corporate pass that apparently cost like $10,000 to get this thing. And, you know, once you have this pass, there is no part of the entire fairground that you cannot have access to. He goes, just come with me. Don't say a word. If anyone asks, just tell them you're with me. We walk through our own private entrance down the side. We go through our own private little restaurant where there's all the food, all the drink you could ever ask for, and there's no place to pay. Your money's no good there. Apparently, he had already spent it all. And, uh, and so we're, we were walking in with you know, a handful of, uh, a plate full of great food, a glass full of great drink, and we're walking in to watch Duran Duran, and there's Nick Rhodes right in front of us. We're up close and personal. And the whole time, I'm thinking, someone's going to realize I'm an imposter and I do not belong here. Now, that was an incredible, incredible evening. I can go on and tell more stories. Um, but it's a dim picture of the beauty of what we're about to witness today in baptism and what Paul is talking to in the Galatian church when he holds up what baptism is. He says, when you are baptized into Christ, in verse 27, he says, you are clothed with Christ. You are putting on Christ. You are putting on his credentials. You are putting on his identity. You are saying, I'm with him. But it's way better than my situation at that music festival. Because a Christian never needs fear that you're an imposter. That any moment you're going to be found out and kicked out of the great party. Because not only does he say, you're with me, he says, you are going to become as I am. All the welcome of the Father is given to you. All the belovedness of the Son is given to you. All of my credentials become yours. You are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and invited to live into your baptism. See, baptism is critical for us to consider today. If you're not a Christian, and there are many of you that would say, you're not a Christian, this is a respectful place for you to process Christianity. Maybe you were a part of a church a long time ago and now you're wondering if you could ever believe these things or be a part of a faith community again. This is a critical point for us to consider what it looks like to be identified with Christ, to be united to him in the context of a community that becomes family. And for those of us who are Christians, this is a great moment for us to remember who you are, who he calls you to be, and what it looks like to say to one another, I will never leave you or forsake you, just as Christ says that to you and me. See, verse 27, he says, everyone has been baptized, has clothed yourself with Christ. My son literally just asked me. He's studying Byzantine history in school right now, and homeschooling is a whole other topic for a whole other day. But he said, is baptism related to the word Byzantine? Because that's what he's studying. And I said, actually, it's not. It goes back to a Greek word, baptizo, and the simple word they would use during that culture in that time to baptize something is to take it and dip it in a dye, a colored dye, so that that fabric, when it comes out, is no longer the same fabric, okay? You take a white coat, and you baptize it in a red dye, and it is no longer a white coat. It is a red coat. It has changed its identity and what it is. And so the image here is to be baptized in the water, is to go in as one person and to come out as another, to go in and abandon the old life and embrace the new, to abandon our broken, old, worn-out, habitual ways of dealing with this world and stepping into the coming kingdom of God. It changes your citizenship. It makes you a citizen of the kingdom of God, primarily. The invitation is to switch stories. He goes on to say, now, there's no longer Jew or Greek, no longer slave or free, no longer male and female, for all of you are one 
in Christ Jesus. Now, he is not saying that your ethnicity and your gender and your nationality are no longer a thing. He's not saying that they no longer matter. He is saying they are no longer the primary indicator of who you are. The primary indicator of who you are is beloved child of God, adopted into God's great family, the church, by faith, and united with millions of brothers and sisters, some of which are just like you, most of which are nothing like you. And through all of that, you get to know your great inheritance of a God who would never leave you or forsake you. So the question is, how do you become a Christian? Well, the personal answer is through faith in Christ. The spiritual answer is God's spirit comes in you and reanimates you and enlivens you. But the communal answer is you are baptized into the family of God to live all of this out. In other words, Christianity is inherently plural. There's no such thing as an individual Christian living in isolation. We find out who we are in the context of community. And so just in the, in the brief, brief time we have, because I promised Dee and Mike that we would get to baptize Dee and Sersha within a half hour. So hold me to that. But let's just look. The baptism is a way into a family where you can find deep forgiveness. Where you matter. And where you have a future. Okay? I wish I could go into more depth on what Paul is talking about, the author of this letter. He's writing to a church in Asia Minor, in what would today be present-day Turkey. And part of the wrinkle of that particular new faith community was they had people who were Jewish who became Christians because Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. So they wouldn't have said, I'm trying to convert from Judaism to Christianity. They would say, I'm a Jew. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. What's more Jewish than following the Messiah? I'm going to follow Christ. And then they also had Gentiles, or which is the Greek word ethnos, from which we get ethnicity. It's the word that means every other ethnicity coming into the church as well, coming to faith as well. So there was an argument on what does it take to be made right with God? Okay? So the Jewish Christians are saying Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. To become a Christian, you have to become a Jew first. You have to follow the law, the Torah, subscribe to this, become a part of this, and then you can become a Christian. And the Gentiles are saying, no, 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 no. If he really is the Son of God, if he really is uh, you know, crucified and resurrected for the salvation of the world, I should have access to him without going through all of these other hoops and obstacles. So that's the big question, okay? What does it take to be forgiven? What does it take to be made right with God? And Paul puts the needle on the record, not right there. He actually goes all the way back to the beginning. Throughout Galatians, this letter, he tells the context of the big story. So he starts in the beginning of a great God who made a beautiful world and blessed it and delighted in it and said, it is good. And then this world begins to go wrong. And God doesn't just watch the world go off the tracks and off the cliff into oblivion. God makes promises from the very beginning to bless, to fix, to renew, to restore. And eventually by Genesis chapter 12, he selects Abraham and his family and says, through you I will make a great nation and through this nation all the world, all the nations will be blessed. He promises that through this family line somehow the mission of rescue and renewal will go forward. Now here's the problem that the world is in trouble. There is a sin sickness that has not just infected everyone else out there, it's also infected this family and this family line as well. 
It would be like a great doctor who has wonderful medicine, but they're also infected by the same disease. A family line who shows up with a solution, and when they look in the mirror, they realize they're actually part of the problem. And so through this great story, God seeks and strives and sets out to renew the whole world. And he calls himself a people out of slavery in Egypt. You know the story of Moses. He brings them through the wilderness to the promised land. And it's in that process that God gives them the law, which we hear about here. This is now the needle on the record in our current passage. And the law's job was to quarantine this people away from the sin sickness of the world. That's the idea of being holy. Holy means to be set apart. The law would set apart these people through whom God would redeem all nations and all people. And so that's why at this point, the Jewish Christians are saying, if you want to be a Christian, you got to become a Jew first. And Paul is saying, no, you don't. No, you don't. Don't you just see, the word he uses is disciplinarian. The law was just a disciplinarian until the teacher actually arrived. Okay? Now, the Greek word disciplinarian, it's pedagogue. The pedagogue would have been a slave that lived with the family, and their job was to take the kids and make sure they didn't do any harm to themselves or anybody else and that they got to school on time. And he said the law was like that. Its job was just to constrain your brokenness so you don't hurt anybody or hurt yourself until the actual teacher gets here. But now you're looking at the teacher himself, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, and you no longer need the disciplinarian. The law was like a lifeboat as you're floating on the wild, chaotic sea of life, but now the Queen Elizabeth II cruise ship has just arrived and it has your name on it. Get aboard. Switch stories. Find your story in the great story of God's cosmic renewal and redemption through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ's salvation does not need any addendums, any additions. It is sufficient in and of itself. So what does it take to be forgiven? It takes nothing. What does it take to be made one with God? All it takes is recognizing that you're not God yourself and that you need him. He's saying, come aboard. Because of Jesus the Messiah's faithfulness, his perfect obedience, his cross and resurrection, him taking the brokenness of this world upon himself on the cross, and then three days later showing in his resurrection the final word on this world is not sadness and sorrow and sin and sickness and death, but rather new life. And he offers it to you and me. He offers you a new name and a new identity. And so, Deborah, if I can speak to you, I know you're taking care of Sersha right now. Everyone else is just going to listen in for a second. And part of the promise that we'll make is as Sersha grows older, that we will remind her of this as well. But you are invited into a new identity altogether. There'll be a moment when I baptize Deborah and Sersha today. I'll say, what's your name? And Deborah will say, Deborah Ziliox. But when I baptize her, I will leave out the Ziliox part, not because I disrespect your family and not because I forgot your name, But because to be a Christian means to be baptized into a much bigger family, the family of God. You don't lose your family of origin. You don't lose your nuclear family. But you gain a much bigger family as you're baptized into this faith. You receive a new name and a new identity. So the truest verdict that decides and defines who you are is not the verdict of your boss. It's not even the verdict of your spouse. It's not the verdict of your children. It's not the verdict of those people that said all those really hurtful things to you in the past. The truest verdict 
that decides and defines who you are is the voice of God spoken to you in your baptism. Beloved. As God says to you, you are my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. And so when it feels like you're failing, when it feels like you're a failure, you go back to yourself and remind yourself, I may have blown it, I may have messed up, there are circumstances, but that is not the truest thing about me. The truest thing about me is, I am a beloved child of God in whom he's well pleased. And nobody can take that away from you. On the other hand, when you are a wild success and the headlines are just raving about how amazing you are and you feel like you're hitting home runs, every time you get to the plate, you remember, as wonderful as that is, it's not the truest thing about you. Because success is a funny thing. When you don't have it, you wonder if you ever will. And when you do have it, you wonder how long it's going to last before it runs out. Success is fickle. It rises and falls like the tide of the ocean. That is not the truest thing about you. The truest thing about you is you are a beloved child of God in whom he's well pleased. See, don't you see, when you have that as your core identity, you can endure trial and difficulty and suffering without losing hope. And you can enjoy success without getting washed away and lost in it. It's a new way of seeing yourself in God's great story. Now, I did make that promise about time, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and just hit two other points I don't want you to miss. Baptism brings you into a family where you matter. Okay? All who are in Christ, are baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's no longer Jew or Greek, no longer slave or free, no longer male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's no difference in status based on how society views you. All are beloved. All are one in Christ. Now, as I mentioned, Paul is aware that there are still gender difference realities. He writes about that a lot, actually, in his letters. He is still aware that there are ethnic differences and nationalistic differences in this world. He writes about that in his letters as well. He's still aware that there is the institution of slavery in that time. And there are free people in that time. He actually writes a letter to a guy named Philemon telling him to release a slave named Onesimus. He is aware of all of the nuances and details of this world. But he says, that's not your primary status. As one scholar said, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And so here's where I think that matters for you and me today. A Christian is called in a world that is, by default, tribalized. A world that, by default, measures society by us and them. People who think like us, people who speak the same language as us, people who look like us, people who vote like us. Pick your category. It doesn't matter. The human heart is in a default drive of tribalism. Us versus them. In and out. We are excellent at manufacturing scapegoats, identifying someone with whom we disagree or dislike, and then throwing stones from a distance and loading them up with our anger so we could send them away. And Paul said that's not an option for Christians. Not only is that not an option for Christians, it is imperative for all Christians to stand by those who are most pushed to the sides of society especially those who are most pushed down by different power dynamics. 
to cross over lines, to build bridges, not walls, to insist on the dignity of all. This is not an extracurricular activity for Christians. This is at the core of what it means to see that we are all clothed with Christ and all one in him. I remember uh, when Reese Witherspoon had been in the movie Walk the Line with Johnny Cash. And right after that, she was interviewed in, uh, in, I forget what magazine it was, but she said, I go to church most Sundays with my kids. This is Reese Witherspoon. For me, where, um, where I'm at in my career, so many people want to put you in a place that you're not real and treat you like you're not real. For me, it's a great experience of grounding, and I stand next to people who have nothing and who have everything, and we all treat each other the same because we're all the same. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great pastor of the 20th century, who ended up dying in a German con- in a, in, under the German Reich, said, Christian brotherhood and sisterhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It's rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. In other words, this vision of family, where all are one, is not something that you and I strive to manufacture. This family is a gift that's already given by God, our great parent, who invites us to live into it together. When sociologists said that the church is a sociological impossibility in this world, because you have people who would never otherwise gather together, gathering together around Christ for the sake of those who don't yet belong. And when that happens, the church is a signpost. It is show and tell with the gospel. A church is one that can say, look, we might not have all of our politics aligned with one another. We might believe different things about all sorts of important things that are not actually the central core. What is the central core? That God calls us to himself by faith through Christ, makes us new and calls us brothers and sisters, beloved children of God. That's the core. And from there, we can disagree about all sorts of different things. You can do something that absolutely astounds and bewilders me. And instead of throwing stones at you from afar, I can come to you and say, look, I love you, I respect you, I'm not walking away from you, I totally disagree with you, help me understand. And you can do the same. Don't you see where that's a much more secure community? Not only that, that's a much better way toward, pathway toward your own growth, okay? If you ever want to stagnate your growth, just spend time listening to people that think like you. And there, in that echo chamber, is the end of your mental, emotional, intellectual growth. There's a part in scripture that Christian groups like to quote, um, as iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens another. you got to think about it. How does iron sharpen iron? Through heat and friction. It's when we come together with all of our beautiful and broken lives, with all the parts that are figured out and all the parts that are still a mess, and say, I'm committed to you. As God is committed to me, I'm committed to you. As God forgives me, I forgive you. As God loves me, I love you. Now, not only do we have a richer, deeper way of living together, we actually have something to commend and offer to this world. That's a picture of the coming kingdom of God. And finally, baptism brings you into a family where there's a future, where you have a future. He says, you are in verse 27, you are clothed with Christ in baptism. And part of the way that they would do baptism back then, which we will not today, would be you show up in your regular clothes and you go into the water with no clothes on. You go into the water naked, and when you come out, you are given a new baptismal ritual robe. And the picture is, you leave behind your old life. You die to your old life. You rise to your new life, and you are clothed in Christ. So we are not going to do that part today. You put off your old self, and you put on your new self. 
Everything that's true about Christ is true about you. You have the welcome of the Father. In our lives that rise and fall, that are fickle and volatile, he wraps his arms of faithfulness around you and says, my faithfulness is your faithfulness. He says, I will grow you up into me. Eugene Peterson translated that verse. Your baptism in Christ was not just washing you up for a fresh start. It also involved dressing you in an adult faith wardrobe, Christ's life, the fulfillment of God's original promise. One of the things I love about parenting our three boys is uh, you know, each of them at some point when they were little wanted to play dress up. And I remember when one of my boys came out of my room and he had on my, my coat and my shoes. And he said, I'm daddy. And I remember taking photos of him and having a good laugh. And, you know, sooner or later, I got my coat back and I got my shoes back. To be clothed in Christ means you are clothed in his identity as a child of God. That you have the welcome and acceptance of the Father. That you have the same Holy Spirit that's in Christ is in you. That you have the same future of resurrection hope. That you have the same call to renew the world. And when we're baptized and we're clothed in Christ, God the Father doesn't say, take off my clothes, I want them back at the end of the day. God looks at you and says, oh, now that's it. That's what I've designed you for. That's what I've called you for. Yes, this is what I call you to be. More fully alive, more fully forgiven. See that you matter. See that you have an identity. See that you have a future. You are my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. Friends, this is our invitation today. This is the life into which Deborah and Sersha walk. For anybody who is baptized, this is the baptismal promise that you remind yourself of and re-wear today, renew it today. And for those of you who are investigating the Christian faith, this is what it looks like to switch stories, to step into the bigger, truer, grander, deeper, more rich and more alive story for which you were created. Let's walk together and let's pray. Gracious God, on this great day, we do pray that you would convince us of your great love for us. As water cleanses and refreshes and purifies and sustains, would you do those things for us today? And would you help us not only to take steps toward you, but to see that you've been running toward us all this time. Help us now to receive your grace and to go out into this world as agents of that renewal as well. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.